So we have larger-than-life characters like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and they embody this modern rock star CEO. But it wasn't always TED Talks, best-selling books, and these big product launches. Welcome to another episode of Think Business Futures. My name's David Brown. And I'm Nicole Sutton. Think Business Futures is about so much more than money. We're going to take cutting-edge research, we're going to couple that with real-world examples and unpack what's actually going on in the business world. Now, in this episode of Think Business Futures, we're talking about the role of the CEO, that's the Chief Executive Officer, in society today. Carl Rhodes, Professor of Organisational Studies at UTS, says traditionally CEOs were seen as stuffy men in grey suits. But something happened from around the 1980s in line with the growth of the free market economy. So Carl's here to talk about uh, what happened. And he's recently written a book entitled CEO Society, The Corporate Takeover in Everyday Life. Welcome, Carl. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So, Carl, how did you get interested in this area more broadly? You know, we've seen a lot of your work deals with the ethical and political environment of contemporary organisations and its impact on behaviour. So how did you get started? Started interested in CEOs. Well, I've had a long-standing interest in the politics of work and in business ethics uh, more generally and just started to realise a few years ago, and uh, the book which you mentioned, which I've written with uh, Peter Bloom, is the kind of uh, arose, in a sense, of looking at how many former business people were starting to to enter politics and trying to look at what the things we'd been studying about the way power worked in organizational and corporate life um, had a much broader influence than, than the walls of the corporation itself in terms of politics and in terms of culture more broadly. So our work in studying organizations suddenly expanded into broader cultural and political domains. That's very interesting. Tell us where the actual idea for the book came from. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at politics today and look at CEOs in politics, Donald Trump is the obvious name uh, that comes to mind. But Peter and I first had the idea for the book probably around about two years or so ago. I mean, at that point, Trump was nowhere on the scene. Um, I think he may have announced his candidacy, but he was not being taken seriously at all. What was in the news at the time was Carly Fiorina, the former Hewlett-Packard executive, who was very seriously being taken as a, as a candidate. And what was uh, interesting to us about, about her initial campaign, not very successful campaign, was that this was the first time ever in history that a woman had run to be a Republican candidate for the presidency in the, in the United States. Um, and no one was talking about that. They were all talking about her business background, largely about the failings of her business background, but the extent to which her business background would be, would be important. And this obsession with business as being a criteria. And then if you look back even further than that, George Bush, another U.S. president, was the first MBA president, uh, for example. So this idea of business credentials and then later coming into actual business people entering politics kind of sparked our fascination. As we were, were then in the process of writing the book over the year and a half that, that followed that, things went a bit crazy in the U.S., um, perhaps making the book uh, even more relevant than, than we initially anticipated. Uh, Donald Trump was the gift that just kept on giving. Well, yes. <laughs> in a, in a, as a gift I would have preferred not to have, to be frank. Oh, well, you can't always choose your presents. So in the book, you chart the shift in the role of the CEO. So back in the 1950s and 60s, these chief executives, like I said before, were 
these boring grey suit wearing types, but something happened in the 1980s in, that changed all of that. What was that? I mean, you can really see that. I mean, in the sense, if you, even if you look at popular culture, you can look at 1950 Sloane Wilson's Man in the Grey Flannel Suit, compare that to, you know, Gordon Gecko Greed is, is Good Character. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. But what happened in the 80s was really the, the, the uptake of, of neoliberalism um, uh, globally and, and economically. Um, at the time when Ronald Reagan was the President of the United States and Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister of, of the United Kingdom. And we saw very much a, uh, a shift right politically and a shift um, both in terms of, of enterprise-based uh, free market policies and also how those policies became uh, influential socially as well. And through then the process of deregulation and globalization, corporations... Uh, became even larger political actors, you know, stockholding corporations in particular. Business, uh, you know, former public corporations were privatized. So as the corporation grew, with that became a heroization of its leader in the form of the CEO. And you see early examples like Chrysler's Lee Iacocca, after that Jack Welsh from, um, from General Electric, yeah. become household names. And the birth of the celebrity CEO, mm -hmm. which then moved on, uh, Richard Branson and so forth, These are, you know, has developed uh, since that point through, mm -hmm. through a, a blind faith in the market becomes a blind faith in its leaders. And a blind faith in its leaders means we become to regard them as heroes, despite their many failings. Yeah. So, okay, just to be a little bit contrarian here, and maybe a bit cynical, to what extent are these celebrity CEOs? Um, are they just kind of branding, though? They're, they're, like, they're, like you say, they're this symbolic character. Um, and to what extent do they just represent the brand of a corporation, as opposed to having any real power? Um. I think if you think about it culturally, it's the symbolism that is the power. Mm. The fact that they symbol, whether they as it, per, uh, individual people have particular power, um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a question of judgment. But then again, when, you know, Zuckerberg is, is up in front of a uh, Senate hearing in, in the US, he's there, you know, as the decision maker. And so, but the thing that we're more interested, however, is not just actual CEOs, but how this veneration of the CEO has become more culturally embedded, how we expect now everyone from, you know, school kids up to presidents of, of countries to have these, to be decisive, to be tough, to be innovative, action-oriented, mm. which, by the way, all very individualistic, masculine kind of traits. So you have this kind of masculinization of of society kind of going going along with this bearing in mind that if you look at actual CEOs the vast majority of them are men mm, it's true uh, do you have any sense of the statistics in terms of the balance of uh, female to male CEOs I don't Australia? know the exact statistics but um, you know I teach at the university I teach business ethics and every year I look at the uh, CEOs of the of the um, top 20 of the Forbes biggest corporation lists and it's a rare year that a woman appears on the list. Can I just to drag you back to a point, which I think is pretty interesting for me anyway, that we're talking about CEOs being like rock stars and this veneration of them and so on. 
And yet in different or other contexts, we see this as being completely fine. Well, maybe you don't, but it seems that we do. We've got sports stars, we've got rock stars and so on. So it would seem society at large has, you know, these groups of people or individuals that, you know, get this adulation from everyone. Now, I'd probably argue that the CEO as the star is maybe not such a bad thing because CEOs presumably add value. They lead big organisations, they employ a lot of people, those firms pay a lot of tax, well, there's some argument about that, but they try to pay. There's a bit of a discussion about that at the moment. But we've got an individual who clearly is very successful doing something. I mean, wouldn't that be an example that you would want to emulate? I mean, would you want your kids to turn out to be a CEO as opposed to a sports star or something? What works in one domain doesn't necessarily work in another. And the problem that we identify here is not you know, a problem with corporations and what they do. I mean, notwithstanding tax, that's... uh, Well, and sustainability and social sustainability and so on. Yeah, and not, you know, the behaviour of certain bankers that's been revealed through the the Royal Commission and so forth. It's such a surprise, isn't it? So these aren't things, I think, that we should encourage our children to emulate. Notwithstanding that, the, the problem that we identify particularly politically is that when you have a CEO style of management and apply that to political power, it is fundamentally anti-democratic because the C- corporations are, are run in top-down hierarchical manner, which is uh, generally uh, authoritarian in nature, no matter how you know softened that might be. It's fundamentally non-democratic. Um, uh, you see this in particularly with Donald Trump and his presidency and his impatience and frustration with the fact that he doesn't have complete power and that the democratic institutions are put in place to prevent individuals from becoming authoritarian dictators. And so when you apply a CEO mentality to political leadership, the danger is authoritarianism. And even more so what we see at the present, the danger of authoritarian populism, where where this is an actual not just about getting things done, but it's actually a threat to to democratic uh, society as as a continued kind of ideal that we might we might strive towards. Okay, so you put your finger on something quite interesting. Don't you think then there is a fundamental fracture between the ideals of democracy? So one vote, everybody's equal, and so on and the ideals that sit within capitalism, which is he or she who has the greatest skills rises to the top and people are not necessarily equal. And yet we see democracy and capitalism typically coexisting. I mean, these are the two models that tend to work together. And so what you're suggesting is that those two sets of ideals are somewhat incompatible. And so when the worlds mesh, then you have the problem. Is that your argument? Not exactly. I mean... There's a tension between capitalism and democracy, but they're also connected uh, largely through a discourse of freedom in the sense that we have free markets and free enterprise as well as individuals you know, being able to behave freely. The question becomes is, is not so much about capitalism per se, but uh, if you see it in contemporary world, often it's about monopolistic and, and oligarchic kind of forms of capitalism where individuals have so much power um, and so much power to prevent other entrants into the market. You know, you, Facebook is a good example. Amazon is a good example of that. So this is actually a concentration of power. 
that isn't really democratic. I mean, a kind of democratic capitalism would not rely on such focused power. And corporations, remember, exist only by rights of the rule of law that allowed them to, to be created and can be regulated. So democracy, as much as about, uh, as about benefiting the wealth creation that capitalism has afforded, also crucially has to be about regulating it. The CEO mentality is not in favor of that kind of regulation. So I'm thinking about a different sort of intersection between CEOs and political life. Mm. And to me, I'm thinking about the rise of the CEO kind of activism. We see um, Elon Musk kind of coming in with the the energy-saving batteries in South Australia, but we also see Alan Joyce um, being very vocal about marriage equality. And so I'd be kind of interested in your view in the current context where a lot of people are frustrated by the democracy uh, and the political process in Australia. We have CEOs actually exercising power to make these sorts of changes. Indeed. I mean, there's many, many uh, examples of this. I mean, look at Larry Fink from BlackRock announcing that corporations should be uh, serving a social purpose. But if you look at these cases and scratch a little beneath the surface, you will generally find that there is always a motive of self-interest lurking behind the political statements in terms of what the benefit may be. So Larry Fink, for example, talking about social purpose, if you, if you read in detail what he said, the idea is that if organizations have social purpose, that, that will provide them with business sustainability, that will provide them with mm-hmm. better long-term returns. So the kind of the, the kind of so and the same arguments can be said about the support of marriage equality, which in a sense was a great thing because at least it meant that 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 they believed that marriage equality was a super safe bet to to, to back in Australia. So it, you know it was a positive political point in that sense, but they weren't there was no political risk for Qantas in in backing marriage equality. So I think the the motives um, in this case always need to be questioned. The problem that this represents is has our political discourse become so impoverished that politicians themselves can't push these important social agendas, instead having to transfer this to businesses who don't ultimately have a primary purpose of uh, civic responsibility or democratic commitment. And this is the, the danger that this represents, I would say. Can I just take you back to something? Sorry, this is still bothering me. This idea of the rock star CEO. Yep. Now, you know, the question I asked was, you know, really is there, uh, how bad is it? How much different is it between having a CEO rock star as opposed to a music rock star as opposed to sports stars? And I, I guess the point, and I understand your response in relation to the different logics and so on, mm. but I guess the question I'm asking is, is that really any better or worse than if you've got a sports star, rock star? I mean, really, wouldn't you want your kids to maybe be a CEO and, you know, do something of value for the country or for people or organisations? You know, really in terms of value-adding members of society, CEOs are not that bad. I mean, why wouldn't we want people to have some sense of adulation for them or idolise them? Just like Rockstar. So maybe you'd suggest we should, the next president uh, could be Ozzy Osbourne um, in the same well, way that we have people successful in one domain 
launched in another. Yeah, no, but, I'm just kind of joking. Oh, okay. I know. And that's a very extreme. Thanks for pulling the outlier. <laughs> the, the, uh, but, who, but the question is, why should we venerate CEOs? I mean, on the one hand, okay, they run successful businesses. But maybe you can be Richard Branson, who you might not be aware, holds the world record for the, the most people on a kite board. Him and three very scantily clad women in an awful kind of display of, you know, misogyny almost. Certainly kind of uh, a kind of sexism built into surrounding the creation of his kind of male potency as a cultural image. Do I think this is a valuable social role model for people to follow? Would I want, you know, my sons to be like him? Certainly not. Well, Richard Branson is a pretty interesting case in point. He at one point seemed very contemporary, but uh, he is starting to look pretty dated with many of his ideals. Mm. And having read his book, which I found pretty interesting for a whole range of reasons, there is no doubt that the kind of cultural values that sat within maybe the 1970s and 1980s do not translate to today since some of the more infamous uh, examples, you know, that have resulted in the Me Too movement and so on. So that's, again, an outlier. But there are lots of other CEOs who are probably really great examples of behaving appropriately, great achievement and so on. You know, why wouldn't we want them to be people we look up to within society? I think the question is not so much necessarily that there's something wrong with looking up to people. And I don't certainly wouldn't want to criticize all CEOs or suggest they're all the same. They're all individual people with, you know, their own lives and their their own ways of doing things. But again, there is this cultural ideal that has been created that, that goes beyond the individuals concerned which suggests, you know, that there's a highly individualist rather than community approach, that, you know, market rationality can be applied to to any domain of, of human life. Um, you know, you can go and buy books about dating like a CEO. There are romance novels about engaging in romantic relationships with CEOs. There are, there are you know, CEO role models for, for school children uh, that are around. Once these models get put into this kind of way, it seems out of, it's applied out of context and it can be damaging, we suggest. So is this just simply the latest development in the personal development movement. So when I think about the personal development movement, I go back to human relations uh, era of management, which I think, you know, you're a management scholar, so I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I do. But in the 20s and 30s with uh, Dale Carnegie and his uh, very famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it really emerged as a in the 1980s, I guess, in particular with Tony Robbins and all these sorts of people and this idea of you can be anything and achieve achieve whatever you want if you apply yourself. So this idea of meritocratic society. And what we're seeing now with the latest CEO cult is maybe the pinnacle of that because in the business context, the CEO is the pinnacle of the work practices and organizations for many people. And maybe it's just the latest reflection of a meritocratic society and personal development. The two are, are very, very closely related. Um, although I'm not sure it's necessarily meritocratic. I mean, you know, people's success in life often comes from uh, not just from their own merit, but also from the kind of education that they've been able to uh, access, from the kind of the wealth of their parents and what that enables from the from the social class that they're involved in. But part of the CEO appeal is to suggest all of that doesn't matter. Your success is only down to your own hard work and initiative. By corollary, that means 
that if you're not successful, that's also your fault because you're a loser. And this is a world in which the market suggests that all aspects of our life are a form of hostile competition in the same way that you would, would encounter in a, in a competitive business market where the goal is to win and for others to lose. And it's this idea of, of this, again, individualistic win-lose approach which flies in the face of the possibility of more progressive and caring approaches to how we govern society and how we understand our relationships with one another. You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download this show, head to 2ser.com or your favorite podcast app and look for Think Business Futures. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts. This show is a co-production of the UTS Business School with support from 2SER. So on this episode, we're talking about the role of CEOs in society, and we're lucky enough to have Carl Rhodes, a professor from UTS Business School, here talking about CEOs as rock stars, and and their and in particular the the role of th- that this has been reflected in social and political life. Now I want to come back to something you opened up earlier, um, which was about the way in which we're seeing this role of CEO starting to be emulated in the political sphere. How do we see this playing out in Australia? Are we seeing a more corporate approach to the way in which our government is being run? Certainly with the president, present government. You might uh, think back to the day that Tony Abbott first became prime minister and he very proudly stood on the stage to accept you know, uh, his, his victory um, as prime minister. And you, if you remember what he said. And from today, I declare that Australia is under new management and that Australia is once more open for business. Australia is open for business. So this connection between political and business life in Australia is very, very strong particularly in terms of, you know, the present coalition government. And, of course, Tony Abbott was very fond of what he referred to as the captain's call, which basically means non-democratic decisions of which he consulted nobody because he wanted to do it individualistically. Mm. Again, this is a very authoritarian kind of approach that that is associated more with corporate rather than political leadership. Abbott then gets ousted by Malcolm Turnbull, the former Goldman Sachs uh, executive, so the very personification of a business elite. Um, So it's very present, I'd say, in Australia today. But aren't some of the skills that we see, for instance, in, you know, corporate CEOs and corporate executives in running large organisations appropriate in a political sphere? I mean, we have people here that are managing, you know, the budget for for the economy. Um, In one sense, wouldn't we want to see some of this business acumen and skills kind of flow into uh, the political sphere? Certainly some business acumen and skills are important, and obviously politicians are involved in governing the economy, which is is these days made up largely of of large corporations. Uh, Not largely, but significantly. And so there is clearly um, an important crossover there. But to run a democratic government in the same way as you would run a corporation run by shareholders for the sake of them making profit is a fundamentally different task requiring a fundamentally different set of skills. It's about negotiation and consensus building and consultation and working through the institutions of of democracy to achieve goals which are for the common good. A corporation is run 
for those that are for the private good. It's a fundamentally different task requiring mm. a fundamentally different form of leadership. Is the problem here in terms of the caricature of the individuals, um, like the traits per se? Like we're, we're picking on, you know, Tony Abbott, uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump and their personal characteristics. Mm. Or is the problem with the kind of the structure and the processes and the way in which politics runs today? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of both individual and structural factors um, uh, in that sense, um, but also a question of, of motivations. Um, many, you know, for many years in politics, you've had uh, authoritarian dictators running. It's not a new thing that's specific to the CEO, but the approach of the CEO somehow lends itself to that and somehow lends itself um, uh, to a less democratic approach, to a more authoritarian approach that is very much singular-minded. And this, uh, apparently, you know, people in business think this is appropriate to them. Not necessarily the case. There are many other ways to run business through cooperatives, through mutuals, mm. uh, credit unions and so forth. But it just it's just the, the stockholder corporation has become an almost de facto standard um, at the moment. So whether this is even the best way to run business is, a, is another question. But certainly in terms of the uh, political level, there's a very different set of structures that need to be worked to. In the Australian case, for example, you know, working through the parliamentary system and in liberal democracies in general, respect of the institutions, of the rule of law, um, of the court system and so forth. These are all parts of what running a country operates. So politicians aren't really the all-powerful leaders that dictators are. That politicians, uh, prime ministers, aren't, for example, in our case, aren't the all-powerful leaders that you would expect a corporate CEO to be. But if you take that image of the CEO, which has that quite centralized power, and adapt it to a political system, it doesn't it doesn't fit and, and at an extreme can threaten to jeopardise uh, that system entirely. So can a politician uh, or a political party that doesn't have a celebrity leader win the election? Um, I'm not so much about a celebrity leader. I mean, obviously, politicians are, are going to be um, are going to be well-known celebrities of some sort. But certainly, the, uh, politicians can win elections. They don't have to be, they don't have to be these kind of action hero, role modelled uh, type people. And there's, you know, plenty of examples across the world of more progressive political leaders having a significant state. The most obvious examples that are often thought of are Bernie Saunders in the U.S., although ultimately not successful. To be running a campaign in 2017 in the United States and calling yourself a socialist. That's unimaginable, even several years ago. So that suggests change. Mm -hmm. If you look at Jeremy Corbyn's success in the United Kingdom, this suggests change. Closer to home, look at Jacinta Ardern in New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, again on a, on a progressive platform, mm -hmm. being hugely successful. So there are many examples of where this certainly does not have to be the case. Um, and it's these progressive alternatives uh, that I would hope are growing as people are, are becoming more and more dissatisfied with the, with the CEO-type approach. Can I open up for a few moments this issue of interests served and legislation and in particular corporate tax cuts ah, yes. mm. so we used to have some discomfort with the idea that politicians would be making rules around their superannuation or their salary and we say well that's not fair you know it's in their interest to pay themselves more or get more superannuation and there'd be a bit of an uproar about it and yet if we go back to some of our earlier discussion we've got a lot of politicians now that have significant business interests 
I noticed the comment, I think it was in your book or something you wrote about where you talked about Malcolm Turnbull being one of the wealthiest politicians in the parliament, which, given how wealthy he is, suggests there are other people that have pretty significant business interests. So all of a sudden, like, I guess, Donald Trump in the US, but in particular here in Australia, we've got people voting on or making legislation where they stand to benefit enormously because of their interests. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I mean the, the tax cut situation is 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 um, is really interesting, and it's not just Australia; it's that it's the world round, and it's almost you know businesses holding company uh, holding nations to ransom as they kind of compete for lowest tax in terms of where the, where they'll make um, investments, and as well, yeah, uh, politicians' own interests coming to bear on that, even more so when you get people who are, have been successful in business uh, and who have business interests becoming becoming politicians. So there is the case of, you know, the potential for abuse um, of, of such a system. And also, I mean, bearing in mind, one of the big issues that surrounds this whole thing is the issue of inequality. So we have a government pushing for to- corporate tax cuts under the most flimsy and bogus justification of a you know trickle down economics which by expert opinion or just by common sense is nonsense trying to set up this system that will ultimately widen the inequalities that this this whole society has produced in the first place and that politicians are making those decisions in the interest of business and bear in mind it's not just about their business interests it's also about the business backing for their campaigns and business backing for other you know other uh, corporate political activities they're all wound up in a system that is that is really uh, yeah, quite disturbed <music> That brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website, 2SER.com. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app. This podcast is made by the UTS Business School with the support of 2SER 107.3. I'd like to thank Carl again for coming in to joining us for today to discuss the role of CEOs in society. You can find Carl on Twitter. His handle is at Prof. Carl Rhodes, and get out and get this book, CEO Society. It is available on Z Books. That's it for this episode. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Brandy. Thanks, Carl. Thank you both. Till next time. <laughs>